Um, and so now we're going to do our scripture reading, um, which is Colossians 2, um, verses 16 through 23. And that's on page 984, if you have one of the Red Pew Bibles. So I'm going to go ahead and read through that. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the opportunities and the privileges that we have to serve your church, to serve you. I pray, Lord, that you would bless the efforts of Jenna and Dave as they reach out to our community here. Uh, so many different things going on in terms of ministries, and this is just one highlight of, of one particular ministry that has actually touched many, many people and as uh, Billy and his team are ministering to the homeless encampments, um, as well as just the folks that come in to our breakfast on Sundays, um, there's just so much need and hurt and pain and fear that is out there. I pray, God, that we would be able to penetrate that darkness with your gospel. Uh, would you fill us with your spirit to do that in Jesus' name? Amen. What are the things that we're scared of or intimidated by um, that we just feel uneasy about? Is there anything that you, has you thinking or feeling that you're incomplete in Jesus? Now, without Jesus, as Christians, we, have, we, we know that there are plenty of reasons to believe that there is an incompletion without Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the Bible shares this. The Apostle Paul shares this with us in Colossians 2, starting in verse 9. He writes, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So without a doubt, we... We will face people, we will face circumstances that will have us question the fullness of life that we have in Jesus Christ. But that is why Paul wrote this portion of this letter to the Colossians, because they, like us, were faced by people, by circumstances that had them question if their life was indeed complete, whole, in Jesus Christ. The Colossian church uh, was faced with people who questioned if Jesus was enough because they believed that there were actions to be done to, to prove one's self to God. 
And so the early Christian church was bullied, intimidated, uh, made to think that they were less than uh, because of their faith in Jesus, because they were told, you know, your faith in Jesus is just not quite enough. And they were told, you know, you're, you're missing something, and um, you're, you're missing various things. We're going to go through these things uh, in this chapter. But because they held firm to their faith and because they wouldn't budge from Jesus Christ and in him crucified, they were considered fascists. They were, they were thought that, you know, you're, you're not willing to budge. You're not willing to add to your faith thinking that that's enough. So, so why, like, who, who, who do you think you are? Perfect? Do you, who do you think you are? You don't need to change? Now, when people question why we believe what we believe and, and when we don't hold to their changing values or their changing beliefs, we too may be considered fascist or backwards or antiquated because we aren't willing to change with the times. And so things haven't changed all that much between Paul's time and what we're dealing with today because people have always wanted to add to the gospel. For over 2,000 years, people have wanted to add to Jesus whether that is philosophies or empty deceits or human traditions, elemental spirits, as Paul mentions in verse 8. And we face these additions from religious as well as non-religious people. We face them from all over the place. And as long as it's Jesus plus anything, we have to be cautious about what those things are. People tend to judge spirituality on what is done, which is you know, whether we like it or not, they look at how we are serving the homeless or if we're not or how we're serving people who are disenfranchised or oppressed or whatever that may be. They also look at, you know, what do we eat and what do we drink or how do we celebrate? And people, people judge spirituality based off of what is being done or not done. And so that's the intro that brings us to this section of Scripture. And let's jump into verse 16 here. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, what we have here in verse 16 are, are these Jewish ceremonies, these pagan ideologies coming into play with the early Christian church. There was this legalism that the early Christian church had to deal with. And legalism tends to stem from culture. We have these cultural influences that play heavily into legalism. Um, we all experience these things. I, myself, I grew up in an ethnic church, and, and from my culture, my ethnic culture played into, uh, quite heavily, into my Christian faith, even though some of it had to do with Christian faith, but there was some of it that didn't have anything to do with the Christian faith. And if you grew up in the church, you've experienced it yourself because we all have a culture, and that culture kind of influences our, our faith. So what the Gentile church in Colossae had to deal with was a Jewish culture, a, a ritual, Jewish rituals, playing into their faith. So, so the Jesus stuff was concerning their, their diet, the Jesus plus this. And so the plus stuff was diets, uh, festivals, Sabbath. And so what you ate, what you drank. And so Paul wrote, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Because there were a ton of dietary laws within uh, Judaism, within that tradition. And the Jews tied those dietary traditions into their spirituality. And Paul's saying, hey, wait, wait a minute. 
We deal with this nowadays with Messianic Jews quite a bit. I have families that come talk to me about this, saying, hey, you know, my, my sister got into this, or my brother got into that, and uh, my family member got into this, and they believe that we should be uh, holding on to those uh, Jewish practices and those laws, or we should hold on to Sabbaths, and we hold on to these sorts of things. Paul's saying, well, think about this. Let's just think about this. Now, most of us don't have to deal with this anymore, these Jewish dietary laws. We deal with different things to where our spirituality is judged nowadays. And it's typically other Christians who are judging us. And one of the, the bigger ones is probably alcohol consumption um, or uh, smoking uh, or how one dresses whether that's uh, you wear hats or you don't wear hats, and this is a true statement here. I, I used to wear hats up here when I preach. I don't know if any of you guys remember that. I used to like my hats. I have a lot of hats, and I don't wear them anymore because I did have uh, someone come up and say, like, hey, you know what, Pastor, that, that's not really an appropriate thing for you to do, to preach with a hat up on, on stage. So I was like, all right, I won't do it anymore. It's not a big deal for me to put away my hat. I'll do it if it stumbles you. It doesn't matter to me. And I've also had people talk about my feet. <laughs> if you guys know me, this isn't what I wear Monday through Saturday. I only wear shoes on Sunday. I don't like shoes. I, I like flip-flops. Like, flip-flops are my jam, like I, for my toe jam. And so... I, I wear flip-flops, but I wear these because somebody is like, hey, same person, by the way, <laughs> who's no longer here. So I've thought about, like, I'm going to wear my hats and flip-flops nowadays. I'm not even here anyway. So I just stopped wearing my flip-flops because, like, it makes you stumble. It's no big deal to me. I'll wear, I'll cover my shoes. I'll cover my feet with shoes. Now, if I do wear flip-flops on stage and, you, and it stumbles you, I'm, I apologize. But if I'm wearing flip-flops on stage on a Sunday, it's because my feet hurt because I, I have a problem with my joints. And so if you see me with flip-flops, don't bother me. I'm in pain. Just... <laughs> Let it be. Let it ride out, and I'll wear shoes the next time I'm not in pain, right? So just leave me alone if you see. But that's what Christians tend to focus on nowadays, like, right, tattoos or piercings, they, they, hair, hair length, like those sorts of things. It's Jesus plus rules, and then they use those rules to judge our spirituality, and that's, that's happening. And while the early Christian church dealt with, like, Jewish festivals, we deal with our own Christian calendar. And so, again, real-life things that I've been confronted with. Pastor, you don't follow the Christian calendar very closely. And so they'll bring up, like, the Advent calendar, or they'll bring out the uh, Easter and during that time and the Passion, and, like, they'll bring out all these different things, right? And, and then I, I'm like, okay, sure. But the thing is, is, like, do you, don't you realize that we Christians stole all those holidays from, like, pagans? Like, so what are you talking about? And people get bent out of shape on all these things, like calendar, when we like stole all those things, or even like a Christmas tree, like you know where we got that from? Like all these, or an Easter egg, you know where we got that from? Like it's all pagan stuff. I digress. I'm just trying to vent. But this is essentially Paul's question. Why get bent out of shape all over all this stuff about like what you eat and what dates are celebrated when we have Jesus? Because 
These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Those things were all like shadows, but now that he's here, there's no shadow. We're in the light. So eat what you want. Celebrate the days that you want. It's not a big deal. Sometimes we celebrate the Passover Seder here. We don't judge people's loyalty or allegiance to Jesus if they celebrate it or not celebrate it. You want to celebrate it? Great. There's beautiful pictures of Christ in that celebration. It's a wonderful, wonderful festival to look at. Hopefully we don't judge people for eating bacon. That would be sinful. Bacon's good. But Jesus came so that we're now in the light. We're, we're, we're not in the shadows. And so those Levitical laws aren't required of us anymore. We don't have to do those things anymore. Whenever someone attempts to portray grace by works, that's a really dangerous faith community to be a part of. What we are judged for is more than just what we do. We are looked at our motives. Our heart is looked at. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And so the why. The why behind what we do will be exposed. And that why is often more important than what we've done. All those motives that we have doing what we do, they're going to be revealed. And the truth is going to be filleted wide open for, for him to see. And you may think that you're a good person until he reveals why you did what you did and then all the pride is exuding out of that stuff. And he's like, oh, so that's why you did it, huh? The why will be exposed. So the things Christians can sometimes be caught up in, are those things cultural or are they Biblical. Personally, I don't think that we struggle with legalism all that much as a church anymore. I mean, maybe some people individually, but as a church in general, I don't think that's something that's happening all that much in our church. What I do think that we struggle with, though, is the other side of it. The license to believe that we can do whatever we want. I think that's what we struggle with. Because in our culture, we're so against legalism, and not because of spirituality, but because we just believe in doing whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. So we don't struggle with legalism. We, we are more about living a life however we want to live it, and also, don't tell me how to live it. I want to live how I want to live. Now, I don't agree with you that you are free in Christ. But with that freedom... We need to go back to the why. We need to check our motives. We need to check why we live the way that we do. And that our expressions of liberty are to be motivated by love. And that freedom is governed and it is limited. Freedom is not unlimited and just free space to do whatever we want. It is not licensed to do whatever we want. Freedom is governed by the law of love. And here's something we get confused about. Just because we are free to do something, and just because it is lawful to do that thing, does not mean that it is helpful or beneficial to our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's nothing unlawful about me wearing a hat or flip-flops. I don't wear them out of the law of love. 
because it made somebody stumble. And this is what Romans 14 is all about. When you look at Romans 14, the 14 and 15, this is what it teaches. Now, in our church, um, I think most people here are very good at being hospitable and welcoming, uh, which is what Romans 14 and 15 are speaking about as well. And the Christian church generally is known to be exclusive. Now, I, I think our church is pretty good at being inclusive. Uh, we, we have a lot of work to do still to be fully inclusive, but generally speaking, I think you guys do a pretty good job. I don't think someone walks in here and they'll feel, unless it's just them, but you guys as a whole, I think you guys kind of embrace people. But I think there is this really serious tension in the church about being inclusive while holding to what's biblical. And this is a tension that we have. There's this debate about what's biblical versus cultural, and freedom isn't doing anything that we want whenever we want. We need to use our discernment, keeping in mind that we are not our own. We glorify God. Look at Romans 14, verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. We were bought with the blood of Christ. We glorify God through whom we are empowered by the Holy Spirit so that our time, our money, our bodies, what we do is not our own. We belong to the Lord. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, Christians disagree on what we can and we can't do. That's always going to be there. That's always going to be present. The thing that we have to agree on is that we have to act in love, whether it's in agreement or disagreement of a certain thing. We have to do it out of love. We can't cause distress in other people and amongst ourselves. We have to think through those implications of us doing certain actions or saying certain things or believing certain things. We belong to God. We belong to each other. And our freedoms are to be controlled, governed by love. Back to Romans 14 again, this time in verse 15. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat, someone for whom Christ died. Now skip down to verse 20. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. We need to put forth the effort towards peace, towards mutual upbuilding. And this is why... We at Regenerations, within our functions, in our small groups, we, we keep them dry. We, we don't want alcohol in those things. Now, personally, I, I don't have an issue with alcohol. I'm, I'm fine with it. I'll have a glass of wine with people who are, are fine with it. But if you stumble from it, I won't drink in front of you. Now, drunkenness is a totally different thing. The Bible clearly teaches against that. But the drinking thing, like... Jesus had it. I'm good with it. But we have had a number of people in our church who have lost sobriety because of region, small groups, or functions. And that is not a loving thing to do. So, you know, years ago we had wine 
for communion. And it wasn't until somebody shared, you know, hey, um, Albert, I, I've been sober for like six months, but I, I took communion today and the taste, like, and now I'm struggling. Like, I, I'm thinking about it. And there was a time when we, the balcony was open and we had the communion elements up there and I, I saw some, some dudes up there and every Sunday they'd just like grab it and they'd like swig it and then put it down. I was like, well, maybe they just don't know. Like maybe, so, but then after like three weeks, I was like, no, they know. Like, <laughs> and you know, they were just struggling with like, there's alcohol there, so I'm gonna take it. And then in small groups where I've had several people on several occasions come up and say like, you know, I've been sober and then I went to the group and like I lost my sobriety. And so just general rule, like we don't want to stumble, brothers and sisters. So let's just not do it. Now, if it's your personal thing, do, do what you feel is right. And if you're at peace with God and if you know the people, then that's another thing. But if you're doing a group where you don't know people, they're just stopping by because you're hosting a small group or whatever, just exercise some discernment there. Figure that out. Like, don't have it. And if you really want to do it with your, have it with your friends because you're just having a nice dinner and it pairs well with your meal, then, then do it at a different time. But we can't let the liberty turn into license. And if something, in your, if something is going on in your head, for example, this, because I've heard this before, well, it's their problem. Or if you say, you know, I really don't care. It's my party. I can do whatever I want. Or I'm hosting it. It's at my house. I can do whatever I want. I just want to push back a little bit and just ask you to consider the law of love. That it's governed by love. We are absolutely free. But we're governed by love. We have to act in love. And sometimes we have to sacrifice what we do out of love. Romans 14 verse 13. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. And it's not simply what we do, it's, it's why, why we do them. And so we have to think our freedoms through, that we don't do things to distress or destroy someone else's faith. We work towards edifying and encouraging other people's faith. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So over and over again, Paul, Peter, they're mentioning this law of love to be governed by love. And our liberty is not license. The things we watch read, the places we go, what we drink, all these different types of things. It's, it's not a to-do or not-to-do list of legalisms. It's, it's a principle. This is a descriptor. This is a description. It's not prescriptive. It's not a prescription. So, so much of this has to do with why, the motives, our hearts, not what. You and I are free to do certain things. We just need to think through our motives and our actions with this lens of love. So let's keep our, our freedom under control by our love for Christ, our love for each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now we come to the third warning in Colossians 2 regarding people who question the fullness of Christians that they have in Jesus Christ. The first one was in verse 8. It dealt with philosophy. The second one we found in verse 16. It dealt with legalism. This third one in verse 18 deals with mysticism and it also does deals with asceticism. Now when we talk about mysticism, we're talking about Jesus plus visions. Jesus plus whatever. Just like in uh, the, the first warning, Jesus plus philosophy, or the second warning, Jesus plus works. Here it's Jesus plus some sort of spiritual thing. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So what is mysticism? Well, the, the problem with mysticism is that it's completely subjective. You can't really grab onto it. And it's these subjective spiritual experiences that are based on feelings. They're based on intuition that aren't obvious to intelligence. It's not obvious to senses, really, all the time. The, the early church had people around them who were experiencing dealing with like trances and dealing with ecstasy and all these sorts of things. And, if, and they're saying, if people really wanted to get to know God, you have to have these experiences and you have to experience God in these ways. So warning number one in, in verse 8, Paul deals with the mind, right, philosophy. Verse 16, he's dealing with more of the body, what people are doing, the legalism. And this third one is more of the spirit. It's, it's the mysticism, the asceticism, thinking you're pious and devoted to, to doing religious things. So Paul's addressing mind, body, spirit in all these warnings. And so these mystics believe that, you know, the only way that you can fully experience God was through these mystical channels. And if you didn't have these spiritual experiences that they were prescribing, then your spirituality is lacking. Now the problem with these experiences is that there's no way to validate the claims that they make. There's no way to verify their subjective experiences. And for Christians, we need to verify, we need to validate, and we do this based off of the Word of God. Is this lining up with the Word of God? And if it does, then we can accept this. If it doesn't, then no, this is not something that we can accept. Because we as Christians, we do have our mystical moments. We have mystical moments with Christ. Think about this. When we experience just wonder and praise, love. And if we never experienced being lifted up in worship or experienced answered prayers or experience just what we do in personal devotion, that would just be a really, really dry experience with God. We aren't aiming for that sterile, dry Christianity that's just stuck in our heads and where it's just all about reading and studying and, and all this sort of stuff, where it's devoid of supernatural activity of God. That's not what I'm suggesting, because Paul himself experienced the supernatural hand of God but what he's doing is he's taking aim at that false mysticism that is damaging to the people of God. That these false teachers were looking to experience ecstasy or to be in these trances rather than just the simple reality of God and his steadfast love and his presence with us. 
You know, when there's a, a mutual love between people, it doesn't always have to be some sort of epic thing that happens, right? This is one of the things that I, I just wonder about. I'll give you an example. When my wife and I were on our honeymoon, um, we went to um, a place that had really fine dining. And you could dine there for weeks and not hit all the restaurants. But we, so we made, I made reservations for fine dining for every lunch and dinner because I couldn't find fine dining for breakfast. Some reason they don't have that. So we do that. And, and by day three, we're done. We, I mean, we had a weeks planned out of like fine dining meals. But after day three, we're done. After four meals, that's it. I can't have any more. Epic atmosphere, beautiful ambiance, wonderful service, wonderful food. All this stuff is just incredible. But, but by day three, all we had to do, like, go to the supermarket, buy a picnic, and put, go out and have a picnic. Like, that's all I could eat. Like, I can't eat any more of that sort of stuff. Um, my mother-in-law likes to take our family to Disneyland. My wife and I hate Disneyland. <laughs> my kids love it. And so she'll buy these multi-day passes. Three days of Disneyland is not the happiest place on earth. That is hell on earth. Right? Afterwards, you, after like three hours of standing in one line, I'm done. I just want to go to the pool. I don't want to keep doing that. Why do people think that we have to be all hyped up around God all the time? You can't have fine dining all the time. You can't be at Disneyland all the time. Like, why, why is it that you go into their worship service and it has to be all that? It has to be all that. And when you look at Jesus, was Jesus with God like that all the time? I mean, you can read about scriptures when people were, right? Don't get me wrong. David was like, partying with God and absolutely like you you have your moments when it's all that but for the most part when you look at Jesus and his interactions with with his heavenly father I read the scriptures and it's not like that he often retreats in solitude and in study and prayer and it's not that don't get me wrong I believe in the supernatural I've experienced it myself and every spiritual gift I've experienced except for one I have never done the interpretation of tongues i I've asked for that one. I really want to know what people are saying if like, God's talking behind my back or something. But, <laughs> but out of all those spiritual gifts, I'm not telling you to boast, to say like, hey, check me out. I have every single spiritual gift at one point in my life. I've only spoken in tongues twice, so it's not like I can just like, oh, whatever. I can't heal on demand. Like, I, I can't do anything in demand. It's all through the Holy Spirit. It's all through God. And whenever he gives the gifts, he gives the gifts. I'm not telling you to boast that I'm boasting about those things. I'm, I'm just saying that nothing takes the place of simply being in the presence of God. That's like the most beautiful thing. I share this so that we don't chase after the mystical, but we just simply pursue the face of God. That we want to be in his presence. That we can have a picnic. That we can be by the pool. We don't have to be on a roller coaster with God all the time. I don't have to have a fine dining meal with God all the time. I just want to be with him. It doesn't matter where. 
And so we've probably, probably all have had these supernatural experiences with God, but our relationship with God isn't the pursuit of those experiences. Our relationship with God is simply that. It's just a relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ as a person, understanding what he did to reconcile us to God and understanding his word so that we know our purpose today and into our future. And if our relationship with God is all about these experiences... It's just that roller coaster that you're stuck on. And maybe some of you like roller coasters. I love roller coasters. I just can't be on it for seven days. There was a time where my oldest daughter and I, um, Great America, was closing. And um, we were the only ones in line left. And it was like 20 minutes left in the park. And so when we got back and no one was in line, we were like, again? And then the guy was like, oh, sure. And we went on like eight times in a row like no one was in line we just went that was fun I liked it you know but I, I couldn't do it for like all night maybe I can I don't know it's kind of fun but but we don't have to be in a roller coaster all the time you can just be with God and don't let people knock you off of that spirit, spiritual track saying like hey you know if you don't experience God this way then you don't have God I've had people in my life, very close to me in my life actually, tell me, you know what, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. And this is actually someone very, very close to me, someone who mentored me in my faith, who just kind of moved into those circles from where he was. And he told me that. And so I've been praying. I was like, God, come on. God, I'm not saved. Like, what's, what's going on? And it was years until I kind of was like doing my own studies and saying like, no, I am. I don't have to do that to be saved. And then it wasn't until like many years later that I spoke in tongues for the first time. And then so I called them up and I was like, hey, I'm saved. Um, <laughs> but people don't determine if you're a child of God. God qualifies us, right? Look, look, verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Let no one disqualify you. Now, how will some people go about disqualifying you? Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, whether these mystical things or these very pious things. Don't let anyone cheat us out from God with asceticism. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's just when people are really, really serious, when they're severe about like self-discipline and they avoid all forms of indulgence because they're, they're very devout and they're very pious. And they typically do this for religious reasons. So whether that's some spiritual practices or whatever it may be, that they're, they're, they're so serious about that that they believe that the body's evil, that the soul is good. And so do all those things that are just like shaping you so that you're for God and nothing else and sh shut out everything else from the world. Paul says... Don't go on that extreme, and also don't go on this other extreme where people are like worshiping angels and having visions and being puffed up with all this stuff, the mystic side of things, both of those things. Now, I think for us, the bigger struggle, the bigger tension is actually on the mystical side of things, because when it's the ascetic type of person, we just typically be like, have a good time, like, go, go do that, you just go do that, you just... Go, don't eat, and pray all day. Like, go ahead. It's more of this other side, right? Where people are like, believe in like a higher worship. 
And that if you don't have this higher worship, then you know what? Hey, we got A worship. We got grade A worship. You guys like have that grade C worship. And you guys haven't reached where we've reached to experience everything that we've reached. And so that's what Paul's talking about. Worshiping, worshiping of angels. Believing in that grade A worship. And that everyone else is below them. And people who are about visions. And they have all these visions and stuff like that. Again, I've had visions. But I've also had these visions where they're not true at all and I'm thanking God for them because I've had visions where people died. And I, and I was like, should I tell that person that they're going to die? Like, no, don't do that, right? Because they didn't. They were fine. But I've also had visions where they came true. And I share, I've shared with people about different things, about like, hey, you know what? God told me that you um, took this other job. Is that true? And they look at me like, how'd you know? I had a dream. I just, he told me, and I, I just thought I'd ask you. And it's like, yeah, I, I knew. And I, I was struggling with this so much, and I didn't know how to overcome this. And like, I didn't want to leave this church and take this position and, and this sort of thing. I'm like, oh, well, I guess you were. And like, yeah, thank you for affirming that in me. And um, I, I, I've just told my wife. I didn't tell anybody else. I haven't even told my board and all this other stuff. That just happened a few years ago. So, yes, I have these visions, but then not all of them are true. People drawn to visions, even though they're not verifiable, such as, like, it happened. They're just, like, saying stuff. I, I think there's somebody in here with two eyes. And um, your name is Mike. Is there a Mike? There's no Mike? Oh, your name's Paul. You're Paul? Oh, no Paul. Josh. Josh. In our church, all you got to say is Nathan. And then, like, oh, yeah, Nathan. Like, oh, Nathan. But they're drawn to the mystical for confirmation, for affirmation, for true spirituality. And no, that's not the sign of true spirituality. The sign of true spirituality is just simple, faithful obedience to Jesus who said, follow me. And he never said, perform for me. He just said, follow me. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Paul's speaking of pride here. He's addressing false humility. And so the ascetics had this false humility that was disguised in their piety. The mystics had this false humility disguised in their spirituality. And it may appear humble, but it's all just a facade. And Jesus, if you look at Jesus, he didn't seek attention when he practiced his piety, when he practiced his signs and wonders. He didn't do those things. Yet this is what people do today. This is what people did in Paul's day. Look at me. I'm dressed in this garb and I have this thing in my head. I have ashes or I, I'm wearing this or like whatever they do. I'm pious. I'm, I'm following God. I, I'm fasting. Look at me. Oh, I'm so gaunt. I haven't eaten in 40 days and all this sort of stuff. Or they do the signs and wonders parade. Like, hey, come over here. I have this healing function and come over here. I, it just costs 20 bucks. That's all. But you'll be healed and all this kind of stuff. And they, they do this. God, Jesus never did that. But yet people are drawn to these things. There's definitely a place for the supernatural. But the thing is, is we don't pander to those experiences to people. Verse 19, And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. The problem is losing connection to the head. That's an issue with many people who are not connected to the head. It's, it's no wonder there's so much division amongst Churches, because we're not unified to the head, to God. People are just distracted with something else other than their connection with God. 
And Paul was really concerned with Christians in Colossae because they were being led astray by philosophies, legalism, mysticism, asceticism. Verses 20 and 21. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? See, don't succumb to these people, these philosophers, legalists, ascetics, mystics. They all don't work if they're not connected to the head. And we can't earn our way to God because Jesus did it all. There are all these things people try to do to earn their way to God. So ascetics believe like, oh, if I just pray more, or if I just sacrifice more. Mystics believe like, oh, if I just have more signs and wonders. Legalists believe like, if I can just do these checkoff things in my life, then, then yeah, if I stop eating this, if I stop drinking this. And philosophers will think, think just to think, I guess. I don't know what they do. And, but here's the thing. Jesus came down from heaven for us, not for us to try to achieve something towards him. He came down to us. The truth of Jesus is being rejected and people all over the world are looking for religious experiences and things of spirituality because the world knows there's something more than just the physical. Every human society has religion. Every single one. But not all of them know Jesus. God is not pleased by religion. Otherwise, there's no reason for Jesus to die to reconcile us to God. And it is only by the grace of God that we're saved. We, we only need to accept the grace of God rather than pursuing religion and these vain attempts to reach God through this idea that we can earn our way to God. Verse 22, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These human precepts and teachings created by humans, they are all going to be washed away. All the precepts, all the teachings created by humans, all that they do is they put people in bondage. Their freedom to choose what to follow has actually put them into bondage to those precepts, those teachings. And Jesus sets us free from those limited temporal precepts and teachings created by humans by showing us his divine everlasting teachings from heaven. He sets you free from all those things. You don't have to do that. Now, Paul is not undermining the, the moral law. He's refuting these ha human-made religiosities that, that, that are obsolete because of Jesus' death on the cross. And he's saying, don't rely on anything other than Jesus, even if they appear wise and good. Close with verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Things may appear wise, they may appear good, sacrificial, but we need to discern what is of people and what is of God. So we have this worship and devotion and piety, good works. Are, these are all these signs of religion, but they all fall short in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity is about God reaching down to us. We know we are limited beings. We know we are in need, desperate need, desperate help to live in peace with each other, with, with, with God. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus came, love came down from heaven to reconcile us to God. 
to be at peace with God through, through transforming us through Jesus Christ when we receive him by faith to be our Lord and Savior. It's not something that we're having to do. I mean, that's a scary proposition, don't you think, if it's all up to us to figure that out? Let me close with this last verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. The righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, thankful that it's not dependent on us to earn our way to you because a lot of us would be in serious, serious trouble. But that you came down because of your love for us. I pray, God, that we wouldn't be pulled off track because of philosophies, empty deceits, legalism, asceticism, mysticism, all these different things that challenge our relationship with you. That as we live in that tension, God, that you would help us to discern what is of you and what isn't, what is cultural and what is biblical. Thank you for your patience in us, and I pray that we would be able to grant that to one another as well. In Jesus' name, amen.